If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, first book in the New Testament, and we're going to be in verses 20 through 40. Matthew 11, verses 20 through 40. I'm going to be completely honest for a minute. I don't know about y'all, but the last few weeks for me have just been exhausting. Really, since the ice storm, things have just been a lot. It's been tiring. There's just been one thing after another. Just a lot of sickness and hurting around me. People that I know and love and care about, and then people that I've met for the first time that just have a lot going on. And having all of this pile up on top of school and getting everything done here has just been really a lot to get through. And I've just been tired. And then walking into church last week, I knew I was preaching today and had really no idea what I was preaching on. And then this passage, God just really laid on my heart, and I've been holding on to it the rest of the week. It's just been very encouraging and very pushing through a difficult week. So read verses 28 through 30 with me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So rewind a little bit. Jesus is addressing a crowd after he sent out the 12 disciples. He's talking to the disciples of John the Baptist who are basically wanting to confirm that he is the Messiah. And then he moves on to talking to the crowds and gives this invitation. But before we get to this, this is the good news. And we love this part. And it's, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible But we see three other main points that Jesus uses to build up to this glorious invitation that we see. So read verses 20 through 24 with me, which brings me to my first point, that there is no rest apart from God. There's no rest apart from God. Read those verses with me. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So you're probably thinking, hold on, I thought this was going to be an encouraging sermon. He's talking about being tired and weary and coming to God and him lifting us up. And we are, we're going to get to that. But this is the bad news that sets up the good news. We have to understand that there is no rest apart from God in order to truly come and partake in his rest. And so what Jesus is saying in this passage, in this text, is that he'd been performing miracles in front of people. 
He had been telling people who he was, and they had seen this, and yet they were too proud to come to him. They were still not repenting. They were not coming and accepting his invitation, admitting to the fact that he was the Messiah and that they needed him. And so he's saying that it's going to be a lot more bearable for the people who had not seen these things on the day of judgment than for those who had seen them and were still not coming to him. And he even goes as far as to say Sodom and Gomorrah, the wicked towns that we see in the book of Genesis where sin just ran rampant. Horrible things went on there. That if they had seen these things that he was performing, that they would have come to him. And yet these towns that are witnessing miracles and hearing his teaching are refusing to come. And so judgment is going to be harsh upon them. There are two applications for this passage, and the first is for the non-believer. And so if you're in here today and finding that you have never accepted Christ's sacrifice, that he died for our sins and rose again, defeated death, and accepted that to be one with him, then come accept this invitation that we see in 28 and 30, 28 through 30. And there will be a time at the end that you can come talk to us and do that. The second application is for the believer, though. Now, I'm in no way saying that wrath is coming upon those who are in Christ. It's not what I'm saying at all. But it's very clear in 28 through 30 the rest and the strengthening that we get when we come to Christ, right? And then for the people who are not, there's no rest there, right? So we as believers, we need to come to God. Because anything else that we try to find our rest in is going to fail. Better yet, if we are trying to manage or do things on our own, we're just going to wear ourselves out. Imagine saying, I'm going to run and win a marathon. And then you go to the starting line and you get on a treadmill. And you run that entire marathon on a treadmill. You ran the marathon. You didn't come close to winning because you were standing in one spot. And all you did was wear yourself out. It's the same way. When we're trying to do things on our own, we're not getting anything accomplished, and we are simply wearing ourselves out. Where anything else that we rely on whenever we are weary and burdened, as this text says, is going to fail. However, God is powerful and eternal and will not burn out or fail. A couple weeks ago, I had had a particularly long day, so naturally I went to Whataburger, got a patty melt, and then went home and turned on my favorite TV show, The Office. Patty Melt was incredible, as always, and I think that is the hardest that I have laughed at the TV in a very long time. I just needed that break. I needed a good laugh. But then, ultimately, the Patty Melt is long gone. I got another one last night, but it's gone too. And then whenever the credits started to roll on The Office, I was just as tired as I was whenever I had started it. Those things are good, and God gives us small things like that to have a break, but ultimately, they pale in comparison to he who's going to carry us through, who's going to give us true comfort, true strength, and true rest. See, it's important to recognize that this is not what God wants. God would not have been going, Jesus would not have been going to these cities, to these towns, and performing miracles if he didn't want them to come to him. And so he would not be giving us this invitation if he didn't want us to take it. 
He doesn't want us to run to other things. He wants us to run to him because he is the one who's going to be able to carry us through it. So there is no rest apart from God. Which leads me to my second point, that humility, it takes humility to come to God. Verses 25 and 26, it takes humility to come to God. Read those verses with me. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So Jesus' statements here turn into a prayer of thanksgiving. He is thanking God for sending him to reveal who God is, but at the same time it's declarative and explanatory. See, this passage is showing us why the people in the previous section did not repent. They were wise and thought themselves to a higher standard, boasted in their earthly standard. It would not come to a poor servant who was Jesus. They didn't think that they needed him. Now, this is by no means a knock on education, but those who put their value in earthly wisdom make themselves their God and cannot admit to the fact that they are broken in need of a savior. They think they can do it on their own. Now, I really enjoy working out. It gives me a good break in my day from just sitting and reading and studying. So that's what you do in seminaries. You sit and read and study. And so I subscribe to Apple Fitness Plus. It tracks all my calories and how much I work out and stuff. And there's also these really good training videos that I enjoy doing. I can do them right at home in my living room. And one of my favorite trainers, his name is Jamie. He has this great Australian accent that whenever he starts talking, he just pushes you through the workout with some great music playlists that really get the blood pumping. And one of my favorite workouts to do, it's a hard workout. And about three minutes left, the music starts to build up as we're going into our last set. And he, he holds his arms out and he says, either you run the day or the day runs you. And all of a sudden, the beat drops, and we start working out again. He goes, but we run this day, right? That's what the world tells us, is that we are running the day that we can do it. That's not what Jesus says. He says that we have to admit that we cannot and come to him, because it is the poor in spirit that inherit the kingdom of God. Matthew 5, 3. God comes to the little children, and this isn't necessarily literal little children. It could be in some instances, but people who have a childlike need, people who are saying, I cannot do it on my own, and there's no other way, but I need you. Childlike dependence on God. So we find rest in God. He carries us and helps us whenever we admit to the fact that we cannot do it any other way and that we have to have him. So think of whenever you're lifting weights, this will (coughs) relate to my power lifters well. But you're on a bench press and you have somebody behind you called a spotter that whenever you're on the last couple reps and you're struggling to get it up, right? And you say, hey man, come on, come in, help me lift it up, right? When we admit that we can't get it up, that's what our spotter is there for, to lift it and push us through it. So a few weeks ago, I was giving this example at a disciple now, and a freshman in high school interjected and said, let the grace of God be your spiritual spotter. I was like, all right, 
I've never heard anything profound come out of your mouth, but that's awesome. (laughs) A 14-year-old said, let the grace of God be your spiritual spotter. What a recognition that we cannot do it on our own and let God's grace and God's power be there because we can't do it on our own. See, we are fallen people who could not save ourselves and we are living in a hard and fallen world. If we have fallen from perfection, why would we not seek the one who is perfect? Because he is pleased to come to us, as verse 26 says, so why would we not come to him? It says, the humble who come to God, they accept his rest. Which leads me to my third point of who it is that is inviting us in. Verse 27, who is inviting us? Read that with me. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, this is a big apologetic issue. Pretty much any apologetics book you're going to read, this is going to be one of the first things that they talk about. People say that, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. He never claimed to be, to have deity, right? Well, those exact words may not be recorded in the Gospels, but Jesus is saying the exact opposite right here. He is making very clear that he not only knows God, but he has to be God in order to know him. This is the unique relationship between God the Father and God the Son that only the Father can know the Son and only the Son can know the Father. So at the beginning of the verse, it says that all things are committed and entrusted to the Father, to the Son, to come and reveal who God is to us because we need somebody in our likeness to show us who God is because we cannot grasp it on our own. So think of it as a funnel. We have the greatness and knowledge of God who then (coughs) the Father knows the Son and then the Son comes in likeness of man and reveals himself to us so that we can know him, right? And it's also important at the end of this verse, we see, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him not to be preoccupied with the idea of predestination here, but to rejoice in the fact that Jesus has come and he has shown us who he is and who God is so that we can have that perfect union that we have to have. Now, whenever I was at Dallas Baptist, there was a tradition that the president held called Pizza with the Prez. And a few times every semester, he would invite a few students over to his house to have pizza with them. I, I never got invited, but I knew a lot of people that did, and they were always really excited. And I never knew anybody that turned down the invitation because, you know, the president of the university is inviting you into his house for free pizza. You're not going to turn down the free pizza in the first place, but especially whenever the president of the university not a student, not a worker, not a professor, but the president of the university is inviting you to his house. That's a big deal. That's a big honor, right? But the Son of God is inviting us to come to him. And that's far greater than any other invitation that can be given to us. So it is the Son of God who is inviting us to come to him and to know God which finally leads to our last point. So we know that there is no rest apart from God. 
That is the humble who come to God. And that is the Son of God who is inviting us in. Think of the Son of God, all wise, all powerful. That is who is inviting us. And so then we finally get back to verses 28 through 30, and this is the sweet spot. Read those with me again. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's just break this down chunk by chunk. Come to me. This is not just an allowance. This is not just the ability to come. But God is saying, please, come in. I am welcoming you to come in. He wants us to come. Come to me. All you who are burdened and weary, some translations say tired and weary. This is a state that is pre-existing to Jesus' address to these people. He knows that they are run down, that they need help. They need the Messiah, right? He says, I will give you rest. This is not a power nap, a cup of coffee, or a Red Bull. And then verse 29 expands on this. It says that it is rest for our souls. Whenever life is heavy and we are run down, we are hurting, this is replenishment, renewal, and strength that is only found when we are walking with God. No energy drink or TV show can give us this kind of rest. And it is only found when we are fully coming to and walking with God. And then we see the idea of a yoke. This is not an egg yoke, but this was an ancient farming tool that we see here that they would put two oxen together. So one ox was not strong enough to pull the cart or the plow or whatever it was, so they would have to put two together. And they needed the strength of both, yes, but this was also used a lot of times to train a younger ox. Whenever they had two oxen, they would put an older with a younger so that the younger would know what to do. They would learn how to do it from the older ox because they were put together with one that was stronger, more experienced, and knew how to pull it. It's the same way. Because whenever we are yoked with Jesus, whenever we are taking that on, we are yoked with all-powerful, almighty, all-sovereign, all-wise, so on and so forth. We could keep going for hours. That is what we are yoked with. That is what we are walking through life with. And because of that, Jesus says, my burden is light. Burdens are not light. It is whenever this strength, this capability, this power of God is along with us, when we are walking with him, that the burdens become light. Now, this isn't saying that life is immediately going to be easy and grand and glorious, but we are walking with God who helps us through any situation and gives us rest when we simply cannot do it anymore. Now, you've probably asked at some point, why does he have his groceries up here? And that's a great question. And so a lot of times we can go to the grocery store and maybe think, oh, it's just a few things, right? I don't need a basket. Or maybe we don't even stop to think, oh, do I need a basket or not? We just walk right past it. 
And so if you've ever seen that person, there's a high probability that it was me because I do that often, and then I wind up carrying all my groceries throughout the grocery store, dropping everything along the way. Also, I did not steal this HEB basket. It was given to me. I did not steal it. I just want to make that clear. But this can be how we treat our life sometimes, right? You know, we think, oh, I can do it. I've got it. It's going to be okay. Or maybe we don't even stop to think to come to God. And then we get hit with a historic ice storm. Then maybe a family member gets COVID. You get COVID. That starts to just pile up and weigh down on you. School and work get harder and harder. Maybe finances are an issue. Maybe you meet a non-believer. And this is just starting to get heavy and people are coming to you and there's just a lot of hurt and suffering going on in their lives. This is starting to get heavy. And then we get to church last Sunday to find out that somebody that we know and love has passed away in a car wreck. And we stop to think, God, how much more do you expect me to carry? Because this is heavy. How much more can I take? And God gently says, none of it. But come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. My spirit is gentle and humble. I will provide rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a lot easier this way. You've probably heard it said a lot in your life that God will not give you anything that you can't handle. Let me tell you, that's just not true. Jesus is saying quite the opposite right here. We see that in verses 20 through 24. They couldn't do it on their own. They couldn't save themselves. And then that would completely negate everything that Jesus is providing in this invitation if we could do it on our own, if we could handle it. Because the world says, you know, just grab your bootstraps a little bit tighter. Pull up a little bit harder. Maybe you need to grit your teeth and put your head down, but you can do it. No, we can't. We cannot do it on our own, but that just makes the beauty of his invitation all that much greater. Because not only is God all-powerful, all-wise, and all-sovereign, but he is saying, I'm not only allowing you, but I am welcoming you, wanting you to come to me. Come and have this wisdom, this power, and I will help you through everything that you have going on. This is the beauty of this verse, that we are not doing it alone, but it is God of the universe saying, I am here, you are with me, you are a part of me. So come to me, and I will give you rest. And if that's not good news, then I don't know what is. I picked this background very intentionally because I love sunsets. I always have. And that 
Dallas Baptist, there is this personality test of sorts where people would ask you three questions. They would say, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite animal? And what's your favorite part of nature? So I'd say, well, my favorite color is blue because I think it can be a lot of fun. But it can also be really calming and really soothing. And they say, okay, well, that's how you see yourself. I'm like, okay, yeah, that actually makes sense. I'm a youth pastor. I can have fun. I can be energetic. But at the end of the day, I just go and I just hang out. I'm chill. And so then they say, what's your favorite animal? And I say, a German shepherd. Okay, why? I'm like, well, because they're loyal. Uh, they're a lot of fun, but they're not going to take anything off of anybody. They're going to stand their ground. They say, well, that's what you look for in a spouse. I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I like loyalty and fun right? And then finally they get to the nature question and they say, what's your favorite part of nature? And I immediately always said a sunset. Because think about it. Find me something on earth that is more powerful than the sun. You can't. Because the sun is, I think, something like 15 times bigger than earth and it has the power to heat up the earth, provide light to the earth, and anything that comes, I think, within like a million miles of the sun, it's going to incinerate. It's too big, it's too hot, it's too powerful. Nothing is going to overcome the sun. But at the same time, we have all this power, and it's peaceful. There's nothing that I find more peace in than going out and watching a good sunset, enjoying it with people that I care about, listening to a good song, to the sunset. And people say, well, your favorite part of nature, that's how you view God. Find me a better description of God in this passage than something that will not be overcome, something that is all-powerful and yet provides peace for the weary and the burden, provides rest. Because of Christ, we can come to God and this is what he provides. And we, when we walk and abide in him, when we come to him and we trust in his plans, we rely on his strength and wisdom, we seek our rest and replenishment in him. His yoke is easy and the burden is light because it takes a humble person to admit that there's no rest apart from God. And then the Son of God is inviting us in to make our burden light, to walk with him and provide rest for our souls.